For a minute, when I was a kid, I thought I'd be a trucker. I was taking long walks and getting blown to the edge of the shoulder by winds rushing off passing trucks. When it rained, I'd get splashed by big truck waves. American roads aren't made for walkers, they're made for truckers. So I said maybe one day I could be a trucker too and wander the great highways like a king. I didn't even have a license. I still don't. When I got older and started catching rides with truckers, I realized this had been a misguided dream. The guys who owned their own trucks were doing alright, maybe. But the others didn't sleep much. They were in a rush to get somewhere, out of their minds on whatever they'd taken to stay awake. They weren't kings of the road. They'd never been free to wander the wild byways. They were chained to anonymous highways, which could never belong to hitchhikers, walkers, or even truckers. Not in a country like ours. As with pretty much everything else, the highways in America belong to capital. Trucking companies, logistics firms. I don't think I want to be a trucker anymore. Truckers and hitchhikers should have a symbiotic relationship. Truckers need someone to talk with to keep them awake. Hitchhikers need a ride, and truckers go a long way. But in a lot of places, truckers aren't allowed to pick up hitchhikers. The bosses and insurance companies inveigh against it. It's always been this way, and there have always been truckers who've ignored the regulation. Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath opens with Tom Joad, catching a ride with a trucker who's not allowed to pick up riders. I've gotten some of my longest rides on the goodwill of bored truckers. I remember one who went from Serbia to Montenegro. He didn't speak English, but he remembered a bit of Russian he'd learned in school. Most of it in the form of Pushkin poems, hammered into him in that great forgotten age of rote learning. As we sat in the long line of trucks waiting to cross the border, he filled about half an hour reciting all the poems he could remember. I'd be a bit surprised if any of the truckers at this Quebec truck stop knew Pushkin. I'd be less surprised if they could recite a couple poems. Maybe some Villon or Rimbaud? Or even a little Robert Service. This is Canada. I climb into the first truck that stops. I don't even ask about its stock of poetry. The driver says she doesn't usually drive trucks. Jessie Conweiler is an actress, comedian, and filmmaker. Her college thesis was about hitchhiking cross-country with truckers. And this is a slight return to that adventure. I guess like the first experience of hitchhiking was when I shot the documentary and I didn't even think of it as hitchhiking. I was just like, well, I'm making this project about truck drivers. I better get in one. I think it wasn't until afterwards that I was like, oh, I guess that I was hitchhiking. (laughs) What sparked that interest in uh, truck drivers that you wanted to go out and make a documentary about them? God, I must have been so high. (laughs) (laughs) It was my senior year of college, and I went to the University of Redlands, which is down here in Southern California. It's like an hour from L.A. I always say it's like where you stop to go pee on your way to Joshua Tree. But it's basically on the route of the 10 interstate where all the trucks are. So I would just be like driving around with my friends and just notice the amount of 18-wheelers on the road. And I just remember, like, looking up these things, like, towering in the sky, and there were these dudes, mostly dudes, 
driving them. And I just was like, who are these guys? What's their story? What is it like to do this for a living? Because all I had ever known was that truck drivers are pervy and what you see in like film and Louise and movies and stuff, that truck drivers are all just nasty, pervy guys who are going to rape you. And that's what you hear. And I was like, well, I, I bet that's not every truck driver. Like, let's see what's up. And I started going to truck stops with my friend Brittany and just hanging out and talking to these guys and getting into the culture of there's the smaller trucking companies and the big companies and then the lot lizards are the women that service the men at truck stops and this is the culture and just really evolved from there and like every project that I work on I just became completely obsessed and just loved hanging out at the truck stop and I'm sure it looks funny you know this little Jewish girl being like what's up with your truck and how does this affect your sense of identity but I was just having fun. And at a certain point, it was like, well, we got to actually get on the road and see what it's like to be trucking. And so we just hopped in and it was a fucking trip. How did you talk your way into the first trucker ride? I think that was the funny thing because I thought, oh, these guys, they're going to be fighting over us. You know, but it was hard, I think, especially because we had a camera. They didn't want to get in trouble or what are you guys doing? And this was definitely before big social media days, but definitely suspect of these two little girls. And what do you want with us? I think the first ride we hitched was with a woman. Her name was Nidra. And she wore a Bluetooth, talked to her husband 25 hours a day on the phone. She was fucking hysterical. And I think that was like a nice transition, honestly, to be like, okay, we're in this truck, we're going 50 billion miles per hour on this huge monster, it's really noisy. I don't think people realize how noisy it is inside. So the fact that we were with a woman was kind of like a nice transition. But it was really like being on the road. I felt totally swept up in it. And the truckers would say like being on the road like this is addictive. And it became, you know, this is a very privileged thing to say, but it kind of became this game. Just like, well, where are we going to eat dinner tonight? And who's going to take us to the next place? And what state are we going to go? It really was just like such a fun, playful way to be. And then afterwards, I didn't realize when everyone was like, especially my mom, like, you did what? <laughs> But I had always grown up with my parents were hippies and they hitchhiked everywhere. So I had always grown up feeling resentful because I was like, well, you guys hitched everywhere. And like, now you say the world's too dangerous. That's not my fault. I've always had this defiant nature about me. It's definitely gotten me in trouble sometimes, but I really believe in the good in people. And I believe that most people are good. And I believe most people are safe. And most of the time you're not going to get raped and chopped a bit and thrown in the river. And that does happen, and it certainly happens when women get into cars. I don't know if I would, to be honest, I don't know if I would do this project now at 35. But at 20, I was like, fuck yeah, giddy up. Was the decision to do the project with a friend influenced by those anxieties? Yeah, definitely. I think it was nice to have each other. But I also think when you're with your friend, you're both kind of pushing each other, like, let's go one more ride, let's <laughs> yeah. go to one more state. You know, like, let's take one more Klonopin. We kind of would egg each other on in that way. Were you getting sort of passed off from truck to truck, like truckers radioing each other to get you another ride? Or were you actually walking around the truck stops asking people? We would get dropped off at a truck and then we'd break it up. Like we went up to Portland and then we stayed with some friends for a couple of days. And then they were like, really, you want us to drop you back up at a truck stop? Are you serious? What is that? 
And yeah, they just dropped us off. And then we started kind of getting into a rhythm with it. And we kind of started to learn the language. And we probably also started to look like we had been on the road. <laughs> you know, we kind of started to look the part more. So I think we just became more confident with like, yeah, we need a ride. Like, let's go. Come on. We're doing, oh, and also we're doing this documentary. And I think the documentary you would think would intimidate some people or make people not want to talk to us. Listen, we could not get these guys to shut up. I mean, <laughs> once they started talking, because they're so lonely. Yeah. Even if you have a Bluetooth or whatever, you're on the road, you're by yourself. A lot of the truck drivers that we went with, they didn't actually really participate in a lot of the trucking culture. Because we saw some of that CB talking nasty over the radio, having lot lizards and stuff, which, you know, no judgment. You know, that's how people make a living and that's what some people want to do and you know there's a lot of drugs and stuff that people do but most of the people that we hitched with were just good dudes and I remember one guy his wife had just left him because he was trucking he was never home and just people really trying to provide for their families and make a name for themselves and really live this American dream and in the process they had no life their life was in this cube of metal that was the sad irony of it how often were the people you were riding with commenting on Oh, this is dangerous to be doing this because there's at least one guy in Little America who does. Yeah, the truck drivers were worried about us. And that was a mirror into like, oh, are we doing something dangerous? But <laughs> when you're young, it just felt right. Hanging out in a truck stop. People ask me like, what, you know, not to be too masturbatory right now, but like people have asked me like, what, how, when did you know you were a filmmaker? When did you know you wanted to do this? And I really remember a moment of being at a truck stop at 3 a.m. waiting for the guys to leave and the new guys to come in and trying to figure out what's our next ride going to be, what's our next day going to look like. And we talked to this sex worker, we interviewed her. And I just remember thinking like, I feel home. I feel so right, and I feel in the flow of the universe, and I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. This is so much better than a frat party. You know, <laughs> I was in college at the time. Do you think that led to your later work doing sort of, I don't know how I would phrase it, street confrontations? <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, I think Little America really opened up for me that I want to tell stories and have interactions with people about people or ideas that are quote-unquote taboo, that society pushes aside. Me walking into this project was, you're the other, you're a truck driver, you're X, Y, and Z, you're addicted to drugs, or nasty, or creepy, or you're going to hurt me, or whatever. And I found, at, you know, completely the opposite experience. Not that it was all rainbows, but you know what I mean. Really three-dimensional people and this world and I think in my work and those street videos, I'm just trying to get to the truth. Yeah. You said it wasn't all rainbows. Were there any moments where it got kind of tough? I feel like there was that guy, Randy, who I feel like he didn't want us to leave. He was just like really sad. And mm. I just remember we were like worried about him. And I think there were a couple times where it was like people actually didn't want us to leave. They wanted us to keep riding with them. And then also just like walking through, I guess maybe I've like pushed this out of my memory because I want to remember the good. But now that I'm thinking about it, it's like walking through the truck stop. They're all lined up. So you'd have to like walk by them all. It's like being in a supermarket, you know, you're going from truck to truck and you're like seeing what's inside and they're checking you out. And like, there is such a power dynamic, you know, of these guys, mostly men looking down on us. And I just, I know that feeling as a woman of just bracing yourself, just pretending like you don't care and pretending like you're not 
uncomfortable, which women have to do every day. And I just really remember that feeling. But I guess it's like, oh, poor me, we're willingly walking into that. But I think there was a lot of us kind of like boasting, like, we can hitch and like, we're cool and like, we're all good and we're fearless. I think because if we really thought about the dangers of hitchhiking and being in that world, something really fucking shitty could have happened. And I just think we were kind of trying to go the opposite way and be overly cocky about it. I think you have to be idealistic to hitchhike. You have to believe in and at least that there are some good people out there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why are you attracted to it? I think it is an expression of freedom, and I just love the randomness of it. Meeting completely random people who you hadn't... I mean, obviously you'd sort of chosen a demographic, but I'm sure it was full of a variety of people, right, that you hadn't expected. And I, I love that unexpectedness of it. So do you not get that same thrill from Uber? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't like the transactional element of Uber as much. Sometimes if I'm in an Uber carpool, <laughs> you know, listen, times are tough sometimes for an artist. And I'll take the Uber pool or whatever. That I have hints of like, this feels so random and it feels like a hitchhiking-ish kind of experience. I hitchhiked when I went to Sundance this year. I was waiting for the bus in the snow. You know, like when you stay at Airbnb, they're like, oh, the bus, it'll be right down there. I'm like, cut to me in the fucking freezing snow. The bus isn't supposed to come for 45 minutes. And I just instinctively put up my hand because all these cars were passing me. And I was just like, this is stupid for me to be standing in the snow, freezing my ass off when all of these people are driving by. And a guy came and picked me up and people were like, you're crazy. But I felt really cool. <laughs> I felt like I was young again. <laughs> I think Park City definitely has the sort of demographic that's often willing to pick up hitchhikers, both because I, I feel like because of Sundance, it's kind of more of a liberal place and also because I think Mormons feel a religious uh, need to help people. Yeah, it's so funny. I hitchhiked, but now because of social media, I like did a little story and I was filming the dude. He had these beautiful dogs. So I like took a picture of their dogs and was like, oh, these guys give me a lift. Like feels so good to be hitchhiking again or whatever. And then I told the guy like, oh yeah, I have a movie in the festival. And then later that night I was checking my messages and he was like, those are my dogs. I'm the guy. <laughs> I'm the guy that gave you a ride this morning. And it was both cool, but it was also kind of like, oh, like the randomness and the one-offness was kind of lost in that moment. And I'm the one who storied it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm the one that had to document it. But the people that I met when I was hitchhiking in the trucks, yeah, we filmed them. But that was like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I'm never going to see any of those people again. It was what it was. I think that sort of encounter leads to a very interesting sort of, like the conversations you have when you believe you're never going to see someone again are so out there sometimes, I think. But I don't know if that was the case with truckers. Well, I didn't have that kind of relationship. It was actually the opposite. It was how can I have a conversation that I can preserve on film for all of time? I wasn't fully present in the experience of it. I was wearing my filmmaking hat. So we were asking questions. And then even when the cameras were off, still kind of relating in that way of, okay, this is the character and this is somebody that I respect that's trusting us. And I felt really grateful, but I also was like, oh, this is my interview subject. And I was kind of editing in my head. So I think you have to be a little bit removed from it when you're filming. You have to be both completely in it and also removed from it. You know. You're editing this interview right now. Yeah. Observation changes the experience. So did you only ever get off at 
truck stops or did you ever ask truckers oh this is a seems like a really cool place i would kind of want to stop here or was it entirely truck stop to truck stop to truck stop oh you don't tell a trucker where to stop (laughs) they have the schedule we were on their time so they had a schedule oftentimes it didn't even allow time for sleeping they get paid based on how quickly they go that's why drugs are so prevalent and red bulls are so prevalent because they have to get there in time so we were hauling ass which was an interesting in and of itself you know you really learn to hold your piss <laughs> so do you drive a car at this point or i assume in los angeles you must have a car i do yeah yeah my it's my car my office my yeah i love my car do you ever see hitchhikers have you ever picked up a hitchhiker I've seen hitchhikers, not in LA, but I've definitely been on road trips and I've never picked one up. Not being a trucker, there's no sort of reciprocal thing there, but was there like a profiling element to that when you were looking at hitchhikers? I've always been like with my parents or with somebody else. I've never been alone and seen hitchhikers. So I think I haven't been like the key person, you know what I mean? I haven't been the one paying for gas. So, (laughs) but... Yeah, that's such an interesting question. And that's something interesting to think about next time I do see a hitchhiker. Because, yeah, I should pick them up. I should pay it forward. I mean, I can't drive. And I'm just thinking I I need to get a license almost so I can drive around to pick up hitchhikers. Oh, my God. You can't drive. How do you get around? I walk. I hitchhike. I I don't know why I don't drive. (laughs) I think a car changes your life in a major way. Like... Choosing not to drive is choosing to walk everywhere and choosing to hitchhike, which are experiences I value. Yeah. Was there anything from either your trucking trip or your more recent hitchhikes that you think changed you in a major way? Or was it just that sense of you knew what you wanted to be and it cemented what you wanted to be? Yeah, I think it probably did reinforce my nature, my true nature, but really like going with the flow and being adaptable, being on other people's time and being in different environments and not getting to eat and pee when you want to. And really like the present moment, which sounds convoluted because it was like being present while also filming. But really, the movie was about people in their lives and talking to them like human beings. Yeah. And... That's what my life is about, not just my work. So I definitely feel like hitchhiking is on brand. Oh, my God, I said it. (laughs) So cheesy. And like, yeah, like we said, being the hope for the world and being the good in people and creating the safety that you want to see in the world. But based on things that have happened to me and people that I know and just life, I don't know if I'd be so willing to get back out on the road. I don't know. Do you think... Because you mentioned that your parents were hitchhikers back in the day, and a lot of the people I'm talking to for this podcast were doing it in the 60s and the 70s, and some of them are like, it was unsafe then, but everybody did it. Do you think the the world has changed in a major way since previous generations were at it? I mean, that's the question, though, right? Because every generation is like my great-great-great-great-grandfather Shmuley, (laughs) you know what I mean, was in Bethlehem. Like, oh, in my day, now it's all, now it's all fucked up. So that's kind of the eternal question. Like, I'm already telling my nieces, oh my gosh, in my day, it was so (laughs) much easier to blah, 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 you know? So I don't know. I think yes and no. I think shit is scary and also safe and lovely. And I think shit used to be scary and safe and lovely. And I think our parents were like, after the Vietnam War, everything changed. And I'm like, 
after 9-11, everything changed. And my nieces are going to go, after COVID, everything changed. Yeah. You think maybe what actually changes in terms of people's sort of willingness is like their youth passes and they're, they're like, the world has changed? I think it's chicken and egg. Like, I think specifically about hitchhiking, I think people are scared to hitchhike, which makes people scared to pick up hitchhikers. It's like two people that are like, what, what, what? You, you said it for, what's going on? What are we, we're not do-? like, it's like, okay, we're not doing that anymore. And that sucks. I think we should all make like an agreement. Like there's a lot of other shit to avoid, you know, avoid Republicans before you avoid hitchhiking. <laughs> there's bigger problems. I asked Jessie to pull over. I got out and she drove off, leaving me to marvel at this stretch of Route 172 on the shores of the Saginaw River. There's something about the sky here. It looks endless. I don't know when I'll see a sky like this again. The river flows beyond a chunk of mud. I'll climb over the barrier and prop myself against my pack to watch the sunset on the river. Thank mm-hmm. you.